Welcome again. Thank you for visiting RetireCoast.com's podcast. We're going to continue with our discussion about why you should consider buying a vacation rental now. And we're going to cover a slightly uh, different topic on the same lines. We're going to try to fill in with several other episodes here so we can give you a much bigger picture of what it means to buy, own, and manage a vacation rental. This topic today is maximize income from your vacation home rental now. This is Bill Anderson. I'm going to be your narrator here, discussion coordinator, whatever you want to call me. I'm going to talk to you about some things I'm aware of because I own vacation rentals. And as a matter of fact, I'm a partner in a vacation rental management business. So I have some experience to pass along to you. I know that sometimes you listen to these podcasts where people just went out and read something and just regurgitate it. In this case here, uh, hopefully my experience can help you make some decisions on your own and not go through some of the mistakes that we made or the errors that we've uh, incurred early on, some things that we've learned. And I'll tell you, when does we go through this, what we learned and how we learned it, basically. So we're going to talk in this episode more specifically about the building itself, about the rooms in the building and about how that makes such a big difference in terms of maximizing your income. There are a number of aspects about earning income. One of them, of course, is marketing and letting people know what you have. Another one is how the property is presented in terms of decorations and how the it looks from the street, for, for example. Another one, of course, would be for, from comments that people have made. And then there's some other aspects, too, and we'll get into all of those things in another episode. But again, to bring us back here, we're going to talk about the size of the property. Now, you can rent a one-bedroom place if it's in the right location. Something else I'm not really going to get into now on location. Hopefully, that little ping you heard was something coming in with an email. Uh, Just ignore that. Thank you. Uh, So we're not going to talk about the actual location. That's a more in-depth discussion, but I did bring it up in the original podcast that you should consider buying a vacation rental now. So if you haven't listened to that, you may want to listen to that one as well. This is number two in that series, so we're going to more or less follow here. But once again, back to the size of the property. So a one-bedroom will work. A two-bedroom will work, a three-bedroom will work, a four-bedroom will work. Almost any size building will work for you. It's all about the number of people that will be able to stay there. And if you understand the concept of vacation rentals, when you're talking about what people have to pay to stay at one, they'll be comparing it to a hotel, to a single hotel room or multiple hotel rooms. If you have two people that are looking for either a vacation rental or a hotel room, they're going to look at the price. Maybe the vacation rental is $150 a night, for example, and the hotel room is $100 a night. They have to weigh the fact that the vacation rental is going to allow them to cook there. They will be able to have friends over there. 
they can relax in the backyard. There are some definite benefits to a vacation rental versus a hotel room. However, with a couple, a lot of times they simply want to go to the destination and hang out by the swimming pool, maybe go to the beach, so they don't really necessarily need all those other amenities that a vacation rental might provide. When it comes to multiple couples, however, and this is popular, where two or three couples want to rent a place, and why do they want to do that? Because they want to socialize, and they also want to save money. So when you take, for example, three couples, that's six people, and divide it by that, maybe at this point it's $250 a night, it's still a lot less expensive than a single couple renting a hotel room. And then you also get the fact that they can socialize in the living room, in the backyard, maybe at the fire pit, whatever other amenities that you have on your property. It makes a lot of sense to them, and they're willing to pay a higher price. Well, this gets to the idea of maximizing your income from a residential rental short-term property. And that is that you want to have as many people in that property as you can without overcrowding the property. It's a kind of a fine science here. So let me give you an example. If you go with a three-bedroom house, that three-bedroom house may be terrific property. It might be in the right place. It might be reasonably priced for you and you want to use it for your own staying purposes there. You're going to come down two or three or four times a year, and that's good for you. Well, that's one dynamic, and that is different than the type of person, investor, who wants to buy a property and make it an income-generating property that they'll occasionally stay at, but it's not their primary place to be. So if we look at it, just for for purposes of this broadcast as if you are buying this vacation rental that you can use but it's not your primary place you're more focused on the income you can make then we need to take a look at how that building is laid out so you may have three bedrooms but the bedroom shapes may be so odd or too small that the best you can do in a bedroom is to put perhaps a double bed in there or maybe uh, bunk beds, twin XL bunk beds in a room because there just is not enough room to put a queen size bed or even a king size for that matter. You may go into another room and that room would be big enough to put two queen size beds in, which is terrific because some people bring their kids with them and they don't mind them staying in the same room. And then you go to the third bedroom, for example. In that bedroom, you may have enough room for a queen-size bed for the parents to be in there by themselves. So you've taken care of several different demographics at the same time in this three-bedroom house. But if that three-bedroom house is, even if it's large, it may have a large living room, but if the bedrooms are not set up where you can actually get the beds in, and people can get around the beds, for example. They, you, know, you don't want to crowd them in where they can't get out. That's a problem. So you have to take a look at the number of beds you can put in and the size of beds you can put in. So basically the way we look at beds is a twin XL bed is the smallest bed that we'll put in, and we'll put one of those in. We may put two of those in, in a bunk bed style, in a room.
I actually have one property that has four bunk beds in there. Actually, you know, two uh, two on one side and two on the other side. And they're all XL, so adults can sleep in the lower parts. The kids can sleep above, or it can just be a big kid's room. And that's a big hit. We have another property that has four that are built in for uh, twin bed, twin XL size beds that are built in. And we also have a double bed in that same room. So the parents can be in a room with a bunch of kids and the other rooms could be occupied by other families. So when we go from that three couples scenario, for example, we go into larger families. We go into multiple families where people may be getting together from several different states coming at one time to have a family reunion. That's a real popular way to earn some money. And many of our guests are from other states and they come in all together. One might come in from the West Coast, one on the East Coast, one from the Northeast, and they come down to the Mississippi Gulf Coast where I'm at. And then they'll take, they'll take over that uh, one property. So we've talked now about the shape of the house. The house has to be of the right size. Now, I think, as I mentioned, you can go with a condo with two bedrooms, and that may be satisfactory for you. You may be able to get six people in the condo. Now, a lot of condo associations have limits on the number of people that you can put into a vacation rental. As a matter of fact, backing up a little bit, some condo associations won't allow you to rent your property on a short-term basis at all. So those that do, they're going to have some restrictions in there. If you have a two-bedroom, they may say, well, you can only put two people in a bedroom, so that'd be two in each bedroom, and maybe two out in the living room where the fold-out couch is. Now, I've seen a number of these tall buildings where I've gone in, and they have, like, there's a little niche inside the door, and they've stuck two beds in there, so they get pretty creative on the number of beds that they can put in the smaller properties. But you'll have to then, you'll have to do some math. And we'll get into the math in another episode a little bit about how to allocate and determine the profitability based on the number of beds that go into the property. But in general, the more beds that you can get into a property, the better it is for you from a return on investment point of view. Because if you spend, for example, $200,000 to buy a property and you're sleeping six people, you're generating X dollars from that for a night. If you can sleep eight people, you can generate more money, but you're paying the same amount of money. The difference is that you're just putting more beds in these rooms because you bought a property that allows for the placement of those beds. Not just the or ordinance, for example, but the physical space I'm really talking about in this episode. So I've been to a number of properties. I tend to like three and four bedroom units myself, but not all of them are suitable for enough, enough uh, beds. I have a townhome, for example, that I purchased specifically because it had been used as a vacation rental. It there's one bed on the ground floor that has a queen-size bed in there, which is great for whoever's paying the biggest part of the bill, and they're by themselves. And then on the second floor, we have two bedrooms up there. One bedroom has two queen-size beds in it. Now, keep in mind, this is a townhome, and it's, it's not that bad. It's about 1,400 square feet or so. But we get two queen-size beds in a bedroom. That's very unusual. 
And then on the other bedroom, we have two double beds. So we sleep a lot of people in this property. We actually have a very large closet in the master that we put a twin bed in. So we call that a 13 sleeper room. So let me now get to another element about buying the right property, the right house, for example, is parking. Parking is critical. Parking is one of those things that drives neighbors crazy when there's not enough of it. And the guests from the vacation rental next door are parking in front of their house, maybe their driveway, maybe on their grass, and then they complain and then everything goes downhill from there. So before you buy that property that your heart's set on, even if you look at it and say, hey, the room sizes are perfect to put enough beds in, I can make money on it, and yet you can only park two cars. If you're bringing eight people in, you need to park more than two cars. You're bringing 10 people in, you need to park more than two cars. Now, you may have a two-car driveway on that house that you can put two cars in, and that's not probably going to be sufficient. If you can't find close parking somewhere other than the street, you may want to just bypass that property. On the other hand, there are properties available where you can park four or six cars on the driveway because they have long driveways or wide driveways or someone made an RV pad in the backyard and there's a gate on the side you can pull into. So there are properties out there that will accommodate the number of cars that your guests may bring with them. I'll give you an example of a property that I am in partnership with. That is a house that's 1,700 square feet. It was built in 1900, I think it was 1900. It's a block from the beach. You can see the beach from the front porch. It's really a just, I call it just a cute house. It has all the features of the house at that time, but it's got all the modern fixtures inside that you'd expect. It's a two-bedroom and a half bath, which is great. That extra half bath is terrific. That allows us to sleep 12 people comfortably in that house because of those bathrooms. That's something I haven't discussed. We also have a three-bedroom, one-bath property. We don't sleep as many people in there because, not because we can't get them in the rooms, but because there's only one bathroom. And uh, I'll get back to the bathroom thing a little bit later. But going back to the house I was just describing and talking about the parking once again, that house is on a half an acre and we have a gate we can open up. We can park about eight cars on the in behind the gate and we can park five cars or four cars in the front of the property. So if we get a very large party in there, then there's plenty of parking for them. Also, this house is somewhat isolated. There is an empty lot on one side. There's an empty lot across the street, which means they can park on the street in front of those empty lots. There are only a couple of neighbors, and they're not close to the house. And that's helpful if we get a larger group in there that's having, for example, a birthday party where there may be some noise during the daytime. Obviously, at nighttime, there's ordinances that keep people from, you know, just raising hell all night long. But in this particular house that I'm describing to you, uh, we've been able to have weddings, wedding tents set up at the house. 
So we've had those. We've had bat mitzvahs, bar mitzvahs. We've had birthday parties where they set up the tents and the tables and everything else and really use the house not so much to stay in, but they use it as party central because a lot of people just don't have this kind of real estate at their homes. So we get local people that will come in and rent our property for that purpose. Now that may be an idea for you also when you're considering the type of property that you want to buy. I would recommend to you that if you can buy property that's somewhat isolated from your neighbors, where there's the, the houses are spaced well apart, there's an empty lot next door, that type of thing, it's better. It's better. Most of your guests are not going to bother the neighbors, but that will happen. It's going to happen occasionally. The last thing you want to do is have the neighbors call the police department. So there are some things you can do about that, and that's another topic we'll get into later on. But one thing you can do to start with is try to find that ideal property that has the right shape, right room dimensions in there, so you can put the number of beds in it. It has great parking, and it also is somewhat isolated from all the other properties around there. Then you're talking about making a lot of money with less risk, less expense on your part going out there solving problems and you should be able to expect a much higher rating on VRBO and Airbnb as people comment on your property. So that's all I have for this episode. We've got a number of things to talk about in future episodes such as the monetization, how to price your property for example, uh, how about the seasonality of your property? And I won't be able to get into specific properties other than to talk about my own for you because every property is going to be working through a different season. If you're on the beach in North America, there will be a season in the South and there'll be a different season on the West Coast and the East Coast, for example. And if you're in the mountains, you understand what I'm saying. It just depends on where you want your property. And then we're going to make that assumption that this property is probably going to be purchased more for income rather than for you staying there. If we do that, we can start showing you the maximum potential of the property first, and then you can work out how much you will not earn for the times that you stay there. Uh, and that, of course, would be your decision to make, but you need to look at a property at its highest potential for income, both in number of rental days and then the price that's charged per uh, a rental a night, for example. And then, of course, all that goes back to what we've already talked about today, that you can get the most out of a property if the property is the right size and, and the property is set up to do just that, make the maximum income for you. So thank you. I'd like to invite you to come to read our blog articles on retirecoast.com. We have quite a few of them on this topic, on finances, on real estate, on taxes, on all kinds of other topics that relate to income and lifestyle, for example. And in particular, for those of you that are considering retiring and uh, those of you that are already retired, want to find some way to invest your money into something that will generate income for you down the road. Now, if you are younger than people that are considering retiring, such as in your 30s or 40s, you should listen anyway. We have some 
blog articles about you and what you should be doing. If you have children, we have an article about how to set up your children's financial uh, welfare uh, early on. And then we have articles about cruising the coast, for example, and events, Mardi Gras, those kinds of kind of fun things that you can do. And, and if you want to know anything about the Mississippi Gulf Coast, just tune in to us. We have a lot to say about the Mississippi Gulf Coast. That's where we're located. So this is Bill Anderson. I'm signing off, and I hope to be with you in the next episode where we continue talking about how you should consider buying a vacation rental now and how to do it. Thank you.